0: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX, sponsored by Michaels Flooring, the flooring experts, MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com.
1: And welcome to Overnight America. Happy to be with you tonight and live in St. Louis, Missouri, a little past eight o'clock. If you're listening to this later on a podcast, you can always find it by searching for Overnight America or for me online, Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook. If you're still on it and don't resent it and hate it like I do, but for some reason you still find yourself on it. I don't know why, but when we get a little bit later in the show, we're going to look at the economy with our guest, Michael Bustler. He's so good at that, but I wanted to start by just going over what happened today. I was listening for a while and flipping through radio stations between our sister station on 97.1 and, of course, Mark Reardon's program as the procedures for impeachment, a second one against Donald Trump, were made. And he was charged with incitement of insurrection over the mob that took over the Capitol building last week. Police officers were killed and protesters, too. Pretty terrible scene to watch and to hear. And the sad thing is that more time has passed and we start to see even more of the things that went on that day. We had a limited window before you had photographs and you had different news outlets reporting things. And you looked at it and you said, oh, man, this is bad. And then you start to find out that there were people attacked, police officers attacked. You start to find that there was more than just people forcing their way into the building, just people doing some pretty terrible things. And immediately, the first reaction was, to, uh, we need to impeach Trump again. That was the the first reaction from many, including Nancy Pelosi. And that's where they moved today. Yesterday, they tried to convince Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment, which, uh, again, he said he had no intention of doing that. Today, it was something that was brought in right down the party lines for the most part. I think there were 10 Republicans that switched over. So... They call it bipartisan, but it's really not a bipartisan effort. I think that's being used in a way to make it sound like Democrats and Republicans wholeheartedly agree on this one, which is really not the case. I think the method and the mechanism they're using to try to shame Donald Trump at this point is one that I think most people recognize. It's not a investigation into his actions because there was no investigation. It was something that's political. And I think a lot of times we look at the double standard. We look at different ways the power has been abused in the past, and it's mostly used on emotion and donor bases and you know uh, the way people are feeling and which way the wind is blowing. But in the way, a lot of ways, we look at it and say, uh, he's never been liked. <laughs> I don't know if the Democrats has ever liked him, ever, have they? It's kind of par for the course. It's a feeling that I think most of them were just wanting to one last time, get one more punch in one more uh, kick in one more kidney punch. You know, I'm trying to think of boxing terms or something like that. They wanted to get one more cheap shot. That's probably the better way to say it. One more cheap shot in. And that's what's going on now. When you talk about impeachment, you would think this is a very serious matter that they would take very seriously. But when you move in the way that they have moved, And they decide to do this when he only has a week left in office with no investigation prior to lean on. What they're doing is that they're presenting their opinions based on, we know the, the, the hate they already have for him. And no wonder, you know, it's, it's, he's kind of helpless at this point. He gives nothing he can do. I mean, true lame duck, nothing, nothing he can do at this point. And what I, keep looking back at and wondering is, if you really wanted to do this right, what you would have done is investigated, and you could have brought these charges up after Joe Biden was in office. You didn't have to move right now. You didn't have to do any of these things. You could have done it the proper way, but instead, you go straight to the vote, and I think it's because it's obviously a political move not a move of some sort of um, reprimand or punishment. It's just a move that they're trying to use in a political way. And I think this is what happens, too, when you legislate based on headlines, which is it, it looks really bad, but we're not going to really listen to any other side. So thus, it has to be what I believe it is, and that's why we're voting down the line this way. And we've gotten to the point where even during some of the debates today, is you can't even question anything. As in, you can't even raise a concern. You can't even say, well, why this, why that, without, I think, Pelosi or someone of those stature putting you into the corner and saying, well, that means that you uh, agree with the insurrection and, oh, you must uh, you must uh, love the violence. And uh, they, so they put this th- these words into your mouth and they try to put your back onto the wall, basically, to say that you have to kiss our ring on this one and it's not going away or it will or whatever. But in general, I think that those that stood up like Josh Holly or Ted Cruz, if you look at the argument they made and their argument is there's a lot of people that want this investigated, I think we should investigate it. Uh, they're not saying the election was, uh, you know, this is what, if you go back and actually listen to their argument as they stood up on the Senate floor and brought these things sort of up, never once do they say that violence is the answer or force is the answer. Never once do they say any of that should even be on the table. All they're saying is we have reason to question. This is our reason. And we don't think that there has been a proper investigation. This is what I think we should do to remedy, remedy that. And you could have very well have said, well, we don't want to do that. And that would have been fine. In fact, the same result would have happened when the Electoral College votes were put together. The exact same result. It would have been Joe Biden would have been certified at the end of the day with the objections that have been noted. But that's not what's going on here. They're saying that if you question government, you're a traitor to your country and you should be kicked out of the Senate. You should be kicked out of the House. You should be shamed. Uh, and, And they. They keep doing these things, and it's so aggressive in the approach that they're taking, it turns so many people off, and it doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. Our own representative here out of St. Louis stands up, uh, Representative Cory Bush, and says the white supremacist-in-chief? I mean, that is hate-fueled language, if anything, meant to uh, incite, okay? And if we're just going to say that incitement or... Um, anything we've seen in the past, like hate speech or incitement speech or anything is based upon what we disagree with, then it meets and is qualified for that. And if we are just going to go down this and continue with this and just escalate, 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 how do you expect anything to get any better? And how do you expect me to respect someone that stands up and says white supremacist in chief? How do you how do you expect anyone to look at that reasonably? Again, it's just, it's not meant to be anything other than a way to incite. Okay. Now, if you don't like the way I'm using that word incite, well, you shouldn't. (laughs) You want to know why? Because it's used a million times and it's lost all meaning. And that's what happens when you rush to things like this impeachment into this investigation. It loses all meaning. And I think for them, they don't care. They don't care. Luckily, she was booed on the, House floor for doing that as part of her speech. I have a couple of clips I want to play. And what I also want to do is play a speech from the White House from Donald Trump. He put a message out about two hours ago or so, something along those lines. He posted it online. Who knows if it's still posted there, but it's about a five minute message from the White House from the president. And in case you didn't get a chance to hear it, we're going to play it next Michael Busler joining us this hour, too. He's a public policy analyst and an economics expert and a professor of finance at Stockton University. We're going to look at things like Twitter stock just dropping like it's hot after they banned Donald Trump. And I want to know things like breaking up Amazon, antitrust to big tech, Section 230, things like that. What kind of impact would that have to the economy if those things started to happen to big tech companies that carry an awful lot of load when it comes to tech uh, uh, prices, when it comes to the stock market, I should say, and investors. So we'll talk to him about that later today, too. Well, I should say in about half hour from now, and about, uh, no, 15 minutes from now, about 8.30. This is Overnight America KMOX. <laughs> Get home fast and informed. Total information PM starts weekdays at four on St. Louis's news radio, KMOX and KMOX.com. Welcome back to overnight America. And I got to say, uh, we will take some of your calls on this later in the show. We just don't have enough time because we have a guest scheduled that we do want to talk more about what what, uh, happened earlier today when it comes to the impeachment. So, In the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to take your calls on that. So if you're thinking about calling in now, hold them until 10 o'clock. Next hour, I have an awesome guest, an author who wrote a book called Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair, Inside the 1944 Plot to Kill Hitler. Oh, man. Wait till you hear this story. The plot to kill Hitler in 44 and the children of his uh, rampage. uh, Revenge, excuse me, the children of his revenge. So I want to... um, spend a full hour talking about the plot to kill Hitler in 1944 next hour, which means that we're going to talk about everything that happened today when it comes to the expected second impeachment of Donald Trump after the 10 o'clock news. Okay, earlier today, probably just the last couple of hours, President Trump from the White House gave a speech, a recorded message that was posted on YouTube. And I thought, well, I wonder if they had to clear this with them first because YouTube actually banned Donald Trump earlier today just like every other social media platform has, and more people, rightfully so, are coming out and speaking out against that. But still, he gave a message. It's about five minutes long. And I thought, you know, let's play that here in case you didn't get a chance to hear it. And there's a pretty good possibility, considering they banned him everywhere you look anymore. And I don't even know if the news networks carried it. I don't know. I think KMOX may have aired this earlier, but with all of the coverage from the House floor, and them impeaching the president for the second time. I just don't know if this one actually aired, but I wanted to make sure we at least got it out there. He doesn't address the efforts to impeach him. What he does uh, address is trying to calm things down, trying to ease some tensions that are out there.
2: My fellow Americans, I want to speak to you tonight about the troubling events of the past week. As I have said, the incursion of the U.S. Capitol struck at the very heart of our republic. It angered and appalled millions of Americans across the political spectrum. I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America Great Again has always been about defending the rule of law supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and upholding our nation's most sacred traditions and values. Mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. No true supporter of mine could ever endorse political violence. No true supporter of mine could ever disrespect law enforcement or our great American flag. No true supporter of mine could ever threaten or harass their fellow Americans. If you do any of these things, you are not supporting our movement. You're attacking it and you are attacking our country. We cannot tolerate it. Tragically, over the course of the past year, made so difficult because of COVID-19, we have seen political violence spiral out of control. We have seen too many riots, too many mobs, too many acts of intimidation and destruction. It must stop. Whether you are on the right or on the left, a Democrat or a Republican, there is never a justification for violence. No excuses, no exceptions. America is a nation of laws. Those who engaged in the attacks last week will be brought to justice. Now I am asking everyone who has ever believed in our agenda to be thinking of ways to ease tensions, calm tempers, and help to promote peace in our country. There has been reporting that additional demonstrations are being planned in the coming days, both here in Washington and across the country. I have been briefed by the US Secret Service on the potential threats. Every American deserves to have their voice heard in a respectful and peaceful way. That is your First Amendment right. But I cannot emphasize that there must be no violence, no law-breaking, and no vandalism of any kind. Everyone must follow our laws and obey the instructions of law enforcement. I have directed federal agencies to use all necessary resources to maintain order. In Washington, D.C., we are bringing in thousands of National Guard members to secure the city and ensure that a transition can occur safely and without incident. Like all of you, I was shocked and deeply saddened by the calamity at the Capitol last week. I want to thank the hundreds of millions of incredible American citizens who have responded to this moment with calm, moderation, and grace. We will get through this challenge just like we always do. I also want to say a few words about the unprecedented assault on free speech we have seen in recent days. These are tense and difficult times. The efforts to censor, cancel and blacklist our fellow citizens are wrong and they are dangerous. What is needed now is for us to listen to one another, not to silence one another. All of us can choose by our actions to rise above the rancor and find common ground and shared purpose. We must focus on advancing the interests of the whole nation, delivering the miracle vaccines, defeating the pandemic, rebuilding the economy, protecting our national security, and upholding the rule of law. Today, I am calling on all Americans to overcome the passions of the moment and join together as one American people. Let us choose to move forward united for the good of our families, our communities, and our country. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America.
1: That was Donald Trump from earlier today. If I were to go to the White House YouTube page where this was posted earlier, okay, three hours ago it came out, and the message is still there. <laughs> I just didn't know if they would try to cut all of that out. So when you listen to this and you you hear the message in the tone and the way it is brought up, uh, you know I don't know if this is going to be the last thing you hear from Donald Trump before he's out of office. I really don't know if he's going to give any more formal addresses because that's a formal White House address, or if there's anything else planned. There could be nothing planned. We just don't know. Listening to that thinking about all the other times where he's had rallies over the past five years, he never had any issues up until this last one with the Capitol building where people took to violence. And I look at that speech and think, well, that would have been a good one to put out maybe a little bit earlier, you know, instead of waiting for today. And I wonder why he waited now to post that. Maybe there was, because I mean, he did post a message, go home, um, but if he would have said what he said now during that message, this would have been a little bit better. It doesn't mean that I think they would have lit up in trying to target him for uh, impeachment. I still think all of those things would have gone through. There's been a lot of people to stand up and talk about this both ways. And as you can tell, it does get heated in many different ways. Um, Congratulations, Congressman Tom Cole. Uh, Republican in all of this. Let's see what he said.
3: Mr. Speaker, I can think of nothing that will cause further division more than the path the majority is now taking. Rather than looking ahead to a new administration, the majority is again seeking to settle scores against the old one. Rather than seeking to heal America, they're seeking to divide us more deeply. And rather than following the appropriate processes the House has used in every modern impeachment, majority is rushing to the floor
1: tripping all over themselves in their rush to impeach the president a second time. Tripping all over themselves. So, Congressman Tom Cole, the Republican, saying, not like this. I wish it didn't all end like this, but not like this. And in many ways, you wondered, if, even if Donald Trump won, I think you know that it would have been exactly like this, too. I mean, I think the same things would be coming up, and I think they would have continued the same push. I don't think that... Uh, and this is unique. I think they've threatened to do this for a long time. Uh, what does that mean for the economy? There's so many different things that are up in the air right now. I wanted to bring on Michael Bussler. He's a public policy analyst. He's been on the show many times, and he's great at talking about the way things like this could impact the economy and maybe a new administration could impact the economy. I have a lot of questions for him. He's going to be joining us next after the weather. We'll get to that, too. It's Overnight America KMOX.
0: KMOX, a proud supporter of the 25th Annual Cardinals Care Winter Warm-Up, happening online this Friday through Monday. Join players, coaches, and alumni in virtual Cardinal experiences about life on and off the baseball diamond for a complete schedule and to buy tickets to the Cardinals Care Winter Warm-Up Virtual
1: Experiences. Head to cardinals.com slash WWU. Overnight America is with you. And also with someone that I love talking to about the economy. He's a public policy analyst and also an economics expert, a professor of finance at Stockton University. Dr. Michael Bussler, thanks for coming on to KMOX again.
3: Well, thanks for having me, Ryan. It's my pleasure to be here.
1: We have a special tie to Twitter because Jack Dorsey is from St. Louis. Of course, he still has family here and he does a lot of great things charity-wise and he's actually investing more with Square in St. Louis. And then you see the headlines where Twitter bans Donald Trump. They were the first and then all of the other social media uh, networks start to follow in line. And then you start to see people reporting the stock price of Twitter dropping after the ban on Donald Trump and significantly dropping. We're talking about billions of dollars lost when it came to their stock price. I wanted to get your impressions on what you think might be happening there and really, is is this a warning for tech companies?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, the question is, what, what exactly is um, happening there? Uh, Twitter claimed that President Trump had violated their uh, code of conduct for some of the things he said, mostly that President Trump kept claiming that there was fraud in the election and it was an illegitimate election. Uh, Twitter said that Twitter said that's absolutely not true and uh, For a while there they they ran a a statement under uh, Trump's tweets that what Trump is saying is not proven to be true and then of course they completely uh, Dropped President Trump from Twitter, which is very unfortunate Um, now Especially uh, there's some messages President Trump is trying to get out. Uh, He made a video today uh, urging there to be um, uh, no violence during the inauguration either in Washington or anywhere else and the FBI has found as seen that there may be some of that so he's not able to get a lot of this these messages out so uh, Twitter for whatever reason uh, has silenced President Trump and some of the other uh, uh, social media has has followed now your uh, comment was well what happened to Twitter stock. Well, as a result of that, um, a lot of Trump supporters and people who support really free speech uh, decided to drop their own account. And look, uh, Twitter's value is based on how many people use it. Uh, The more people that use it, the more they can collect revenue for uh, through ads and things. Um, so when a lot of people start dropping down, their revenue is going to end up dropping down. There are, you a know, number of people that, that use it, and uh, investors see that, and that's going to have a negative impact on their profits, and that's why um, Twitter stock uh, fell. The, the, the real disturbing point is why exactly they're doing this. There are some nasty dictators worldwide that are saying some much uh, more horrible things than President Trump said, and yet— they're able to um say what they want on uh Twitter. So is this um something where they're just trying to uh, uh silence the president and they've also started to uh close accounts of some other very conservative uh people also. So is this a a um action by Twitter to try to uh silence conservative voices if it is, uh you know, that becomes very dangerous and you hope uh Congress may have to do something to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen in the future.
1: So, how do you think that plays into the broader discussion? Because you had an alternative website and app called parlor that was taken off yep. of these amazon web servers and they want to file an antitrust suit and see that day in court against amazon saying that them and twitter had an agreement and since they were a direct competition to the one of the social media networks they use their power inappropriately some people are calling for uh, racketeering charges some people are looking at big tech being too powerful do they enact section 230 in general when you see all of these things coming up and let's say that uh, even Elon Musk says Amazon's a monopoly, they need to be broken up. How does that normally impact the economy when you have these giant tech companies worth billions and billions of dollars being broken up, uh, regulated, and all of these other things?
3: Well, so with regulation, you have to be um, a little bit careful. Um, we don't want to over-regulate um, and cause industries to to stop growing. You brought up a couple of uh, good points. One, and I would agree with uh, Parler. Uh, So in the um, social media market like Twitter, they virtually have a monopoly. Um, And if uh, a competition came in like Parler that was now starting to grow significantly, um, now in order to use Parler, you have to go to an app store, the Apple app or the Google app store, Uh, Excuse me, download uh, the app and then sign on to use uh, Parler. Well, those, uh, Apple and Google, have kicked Parler out of their uh, app stores. So now that strengthens Twitter's monopoly. Um, And based on uh, the Sherman Act that was passed in 1890, it's illegal for anybody to even attempt to monopolize an industry. So I don't know the relationship between Twitter and Apple and, and Google, but if there was any kind of collusion there, uh, even if they just spoke to each other about what they were uh, doing um, and that resulted on uh, uh, Parler being taken out and not being able to to grow. And of course now I think the latest thing is Amazon won't even let them use their servers, which essentially puts them uh, out, out of business. Um, I don't know what, how these firms may have talked to each other, um, but it certainly looks like they're trying to not parlor out and uh, increase uh, Twitter's monopoly, and that is illegal.
1: That's going to be a hard one for Parler. Some, uh, we have another yeah. uh, person, a guest on, who's a lawyer. Brad Young mentions that essentially if you're yeah. going to take Amazon to court, it's like taking on the government. They have unlimited resources, just how powerful, right. and how much money they have. It's a huge deal. So if anything, you would have to think the government would get involved if they look at this as an antitrust or kind of like what they did to Microsoft in the 90s. And you saw them even getting looked at as a monopoly in many ways in the way they were controlling internet browsers and such. Um, So you never know. I mean, and some things that I think Republicans and Democrats may agree on in some ways is that tech companies are too powerful. And there is a major uh, amount of concern there. I think other countries have already tackled this pretty much every other large country has tackled this and have put regulations in yeah. place, except for the United States. So maybe we're overdue. Uh, Michael Busler joining us here, and he's a public analyst, economics expert, and professor of finance at Stockton University. I saw this trending on Twitter earlier today. It's funny because yeah. I, I talk about how much I'm upset with these things Companies and these tech firms, and I'm still using their stuff. Uh, so yeah. I saw this trending, which was the Bitcoin dream is dead. People have been watching the price of Bitcoin rise, 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 and then it just all of a sudden drops 25%. Uh, do you have any thoughts on cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and the wild ride it's been on lately and what that might mean in the long term?
3: Yeah. So um, Bitcoin is still relatively new, and these cryptocurrencies are too. Um, and there's some risk associated with them. The idea is uh, that if they fix the supply, that is, they don't make any any more and they fix the supply, or if they increase the supply, they do it uh, on a slow basis. Um, once the demand for Bitcoin, Bitcoin is there, that should be able to stabilize the price and indeed um, increase the, the uh, price. We don't know what some of the long-term impacts of this. Uh, of Bitcoin will be, but it 's starting to be accepted more and more in places of uh, financial institutions are for instance are looking at accepting this. The thing is uh, the price will be very volatile uh, because I think demand conditions can change rapidly if there's some negative uh, something in the news about bitcoin, you know something happened bad and there 's a decrease in demand for bitcoin, you could see some big some big drops. Uh, So, um, with these cryptocurrencies, they uh, appear to be uh, coming into the economy and into use as a a means of uh, payment. Um, I still think there's some risk to them. Uh, People ask me if they should invest in that, and I know people that have done extremely well with Bitcoin. Um, What I generally tell them is, um, if you think it it makes sense for you and you make a decision uh, or not, I would... Uh, consider putting some of my portfolio in Bitcoin um, and you try to keep a balanced portfolio when you make investments, depending on how much risk you want to take and how old you are and uh, what kind of returns you're looking for, that sort of thing. But a good balanced portfolio, if you think Bitcoin makes sense, uh, a good balanced portfolio would, would have some in there. But just keep in mind is the price of it will be very volatile
1: as we go forward, mostly because we don't really know how these things are going to play out. In the long term. Do you mind holding on after the break? I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about maybe another stimulus. And if anything, when we start to see a lot of government action, like an impeachment, things like that, at the start of another administration where there could be other types of regulations and things on the way, I just want to get your thoughts of what could be happening to the economy in the next couple of months and and add COVID on top of all that. So do you mind if we do that after the break? I'd be right here waiting. Doctor Michael Busler, if people wanted to find your work, where can they look you up?
3: So my Twitter account is at mbusler. That's at m b u s l e r. And on Facebook, if you have a Facebook
1: page, search for Funding Democracy. Funding Democracy. I'll come up there. You'll see all my columns. I know. I hate even mentioning anymore. It's like almost a force of habit. Hey, I'm on these places, and I'm thinking, ugh, do I want to be? Um, my yeah. Dr. Michael Bussler, that's just the way I am with it. We're going to continue with him next. He's a public policy analyst and an economics expert. It's Overnight America KMOX. Now
0: back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the
1: flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Welcome back to Overnight America. I love catching up with Dr. Michael Busler. He's a public policy analyst, economics expert, a professor of finance at Stockton University. Thanks again for coming on tonight. I appreciate it.
3: Always my pleasure, Ryan.
1: So I'm curious about what we're seeing now in the Senate. They're going to do another impeachment hearing, potentially, I guess, if they don't drop it. But we just saw that the articles of impeachment were brought forward today, got the vote. And we're also seeing there's going to be a new administration here soon. A couple of days left, a week of President Trump. Then it goes to Joe Biden. At the start of his presidency, there could be other directions that he takes. Uh, There could be some big stimulus money being spent. There could be other regulations. There could be this or that. But starting off on a big trial, and let's just say it it actually comes to that, um, what does that normally mean? Like when we saw the first impeachment of Donald Trump, what did that mean for the economy? Did it mean anything at all? Or can we just expect this one to have no impact?
3: Well, um, it will have, have some impact. Um, I'm not sure they're going to have a, a trial right away, and they may not have one um, at all. The earliest they could even do it they're not coming back the Senate until uh, January 19th you know take them a day to figure out what they're doing. So the earliest they could do it would be the following day, um, and uh, you know president won't be in, in office after that. Uh, so the next question is, do they have a trial uh, after President Trump leaves? There is some debate whether they can do that or not. It looks to me like the majority of the scholars say they can do that. Uh, so if they choose that route, you remember last time it was a three-week process, and all 100 senators have to be present during everything. Uh, so right when uh, President Biden uh, comes in on January 20th, he's going to want the Senate to uh, confirm all of his nominees for his Cabinet posts. Uh, so I think they're going to be concentrating on that and not on a trial. My view is, um, and I've heard uh, some Democrats say, well, maybe we'll wait after 100 days, um, let uh, Biden get in what he wants in 100 days, and then we'll bring this up. I think the longer they wait to do this, the less likely they are to have a, uh, a trial. Because as time goes on, other things will take everybody's activity. Uh, everybody's um, efforts uh, and they'll be working on other things and this thing will probably um, fade away. So um, what's going to happen with the um, economy? Um, I think uh, Biden will be able to get another stimulus package through. Um, Now another stimulus package is both a good idea and a bad idea. So why do I say that? So it's a good idea because Um, the economy uh, had to shut down again, or I don't know if they had to, but many states, uh, large states, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Illinois, Michigan, California, uh, they decided to pretty much shut their economies down in the fall uh, in order to fight the uh, virus. Um, They haven't been real successful uh, at doing that, but meanwhile their economies have gone way downhill. Um, The governor of New York just said yesterday that uh, even though the virus is still here, we're going to have to reopen. Um, So because everybody did shut down, we we had a V-shaped recovery that started in May and did real well up till about September. It started to uh, slow a little bit. And then with all these shutdowns, it slowed more. The, The second stimulus, which didn't get signed until I think December 28th, should have been passed in September, and that would have uh, kept the V-shaped recovery going a little more. The other thing is we do need to get the economy opened up uh, as quickly as possible. So um, back to Biden. So he's Mm -hmm. likely to put in a a third stimulus package. Now, it's a good idea because so much of the economy has shut down, and this will uh, cushion some of the negative impacts on workers and business so that when we, we do finally open everything back up, the economy can go, we'll avoid going into another recession. So from that aspect, it's good. It's bad in that the federal government doesn't have any money. Uh, so <laughs> what happens is they have to borrow it. Uh, so how bad does it get? Well, um, prior to uh, last year, the uh, public debt, which is the total of every deficit we've ever run up, all the bonds we've sold since World War II, we've been doing this. Uh, the public debt was a total of twenty-three trillion dollars. Now in fiscal year twenty <clears> twenty <throat> we added three trillion dollars more, mostly because of the first and second and the first stimulus package. Three trillion dollars more to it. Now the public debt's up to twenty-six trillion. We just passed another 900 billion second stimulus, almost a a trillion. So now we're up to 27. And now I don't know what Biden is going to do, probably another one to 2 trillion. That could take the public debt up to 28, 29 trillion. Now, is that a problem you say? Well, most economists will say if the total debt is less than one year's income, one year's GDP, you're probably okay. If it gets above that, you're going to run into trouble. Well, we just said it could end up being up to $29 trillion. One year's GDP is less than $21 trillion. So we're way above one year's GDP. Most economists will say that starts to be a problem. So what, what is the problem? Uh, there are two things. One, you have to pay interest on that debt. And even with interest rates as low as they are, and they have been at rock-bottom levels now for almost a decade, um, even at those low interest rates, the, the interest on the public debt is about $400 billion a year. That's 10% of everything the government spends goes to pay the, the debt. That's $400 billion that can't be used for other government programs. The second pr- uh, problem, which could be even worse, is... If the federal government is borrowing all this money, selling all these in the bond market, pulling all this capital out of markets, there's not going to be enough capital left over for business. And if business can't get capital to expand, that ends up stagnating the um, economy. In fact, and one thing I'm really worried about is uh, one thing biden has said is he wants to raise corporate income taxes from 21 to 28 percent he's talking about raising the capital gains tax from the 23.8 it is now up to perhaps as high as uh, 40 percent that will reduce capital formation even further so with this huge debt and with less capital being created you create you end up with a capital shortage and when you have a capital shortage we have a very capital intensive economy when we make things that there's a lot of uh, robots and uh, uh, artificial intelligence and capital intensive manufacturing and service industries. So if we don't have capital in a capital intensive economy, the economy can't grow. That leads to stagnation. And if demand keeps going up and you can't increase supply, you end up with inflation. So if We keep down this road of deficit spending and overtaxing the creation of uh, capital. We could end up with a uh, a stagnant economy and high prices. Uh, That's a stagflation problem, something we haven't seen since the late 1970s. So we're going to have to get this under control Um, I started off by saying the stimulus package is both a good thing and a bad thing. So it's good. It'll (laughs) stop the recession. It's bad because it's going to add much more to the deficit.
1: Yeah, we got to be realistic with this, because when we saw these tax Uh, cuts that originally happened under trump we immediately saw some really positive things in the economy businesses were happy they were able to hire more people unemployment was low record low for certain uh people and it's really amazing the way the economy took off take that off and then add on top of that the threat of perhaps closing the government down again oh my goodness all right so none of those things i think people want to see Uh, okay uh, dr bustler again if people want to find you online where can they find you
3: so I'm giggling every time I say on Twitter and Facebook for what we talked about, but uh, on Twitter, it's at M Bustler, That's at M B U S L E R. And uh, Facebook, just search for
1: funding democracy, funding democracy on Facebook, and you'll see all my columns. I'd be happy if you followed me. Great. Dr. Michael Busler. thanks for coming on to Overnight America. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Ryan.
3: My, my pleasure.
1: And he joins us on the Bomerito Automotive Group guest line. Wow, uh, that was an excellent answer, and he's so great at breaking that down. In the next hour, we have a special guest author, Ann Bossom, is joining us. She wrote a book, Inside the 1944 Plot to Kill Hitler. Oh, is this a great story. She's going to spend an hour looking at that plot with us coming up next. I need the distraction. It's Overnight America KMOX.